Welcome to the Nerd Culture is Dead podcast. I am your host and thoroughly a nerd, Zach. Today's topic will be frustrating games and why they're enjoyable and why they are not. And to help me discuss this topic, today's guests will be Jen from at Nerd Culture is Dead and Jason at Tog Roleplay. So let's go ahead and open this up. Open the floor completely wide open. Jen, what's the most frustrating game you've ever played? I I don't honestly have a lot of games that I play that anger me. I have a very vivid memory from my childhood playing a Wallace and Gromit video game on the fucking GameCube. I don't remember anything about the game except for this one level where I had, it was some snow level, penguins were bad, and I had to like sneak past some penguins and do something. It was some stupid thing. And I just, I got so mad with that game that I, I ended up giving up on it for like a month and I, I rage quit it. And then I remember I picked it up, you know, about a month later. I won it the first try. I was so mad at myself. Like any, any game that I have to do stealth at, I am just so bad at it. Any anytime I have anything like that, I'm like, you know what? Here, you you play this part for me. I'll just watch, because I I can't do that part to save my life in in any game I know. That's fair. Forcing a player to adopt a new tactic in a game like stealth in a game that was probably not stealth oriented. Yeah, like I, I'm good Those at levels button are mash. always throwing people for a curve. I'm good at button mash. I'm not good when I have to be stealthy. Like I I remember playing Final Fantasy 15. And there was a part where you, you had to be stealthy to win this challenge, and I just, I couldn't do it. And that speaks to someone's playstyle, not necessarily correlating with something that the game wants them to do. Mm-hmm. Jason, go ahead. Well, uh, to be honest, when it comes to saying my the most frustrating game, I really can't think of one that comes to mind, and I think that's because I've got PTSD from it, <laughs> uh, because I just block out those memories completely. Uh, but I've had my share of games that do frustrate me from time to time, and I just end up, you know, taking a break from them, and then maybe coming back, uh, you know, later on. Like for example, uh, Ark Survival Evolved. When that first came out, I was like, oh, cool game with dinosaurs. Plus, the genre that I really love, survival type games. So I jumped in, started playing that, and then, you know, right off the bat, I was trash. <laughs> because I had no idea how to play the game. And so I just kept getting my butt kicked, you know, just getting eaten uh, by various dinosaurs and stuff. It was just it was hard. And, you know, so for a while I was like, okay, I just need to take a break. <laughs> and so I didn't play it for a couple months. Then I got back into it, got a little bit better, you know. So, you know, initially it was an issue, but after that it wasn't. But as far as a... You know, one that stands out as my most frustrating game. I really can't come up with a specific one. I know I've had plenty, but I can't come up with a specific one that I would classify as most frustrating. I myself can come up with one very easily. (laughs) There is a MOBA called Smite. And I love this game. I have 1,400 hours on it on PlayStation. I've got about 600 on PC. I think I've got 80 on the Switch. I've got too much time in this game. (laughs) And this game frustrates me to no end where every single season there will be a new god that is introduced into the game as you play as gods in this. And either the god is so 
overwhelmingly powerful that it completely warps the game around them and you have to constantly deal with a lack of balancing where they'll break the game every two months. Or the god will be so underwhelming that it leads to frustration in the player base and everyone says, oh, they've run out of bad ideas or, oh, they don't know how to balance their game. And really, it's them having to play chess with 80 different kinds of pieces and determine how the game should work. And it's not really something that I would say that it's frustrating because of the game, but it's more so the people who take advantage of those abilities and opportunities to make the game more frustrating for other players. Where game's not balanced, sure, but you can rule zero it and, you know, not play the god that's overwhelmingly powerful because you don't want to be that guy. But for every people who say that, there's someone who says the exact opposite of, oh, why shouldn't I play with the most overpowered thing in the game when it's a competitive game? So I think that can bring us into the discussion of PvP games as a whole and what some things frustrate some players over. Like, I know... For me, Rainbow Six Siege stands out here where it is a game that has been out for a while, the meta has been developed, and it's a very high skill floor game. So to get someone into the game requires a lot of practice, it requires a lot of playtime. Like, they won't let you play ranked until you've hit at least level 50, which is easily 30 hours of gameplay. And that is a lot. Jen, do you have anything PvP-wise to add to this discussion? So I actually am not one for PvP because I'm not great at games. Like, my play style of game is like Telltale and like story-driven and just stuff like that. So the concept of playing a game where it takes skill versus skill is not my forte. So I tend to avoid them because I get frustrated with them. So I, I don't know that I'm super relevant at that part. <laughs> okay. Jason, how about you? Yeah, um, I kind of side with, with Jen on this. I normally don't like to play a lot of PvP. And it's not because the the challenge isn't alluring or the, the game style itself. It more has to do with, you know, coming into a game. I'll bring Ark Survival Evolved again into it because when I say I don't have a most frustrating game... I'm saying it based on the game itself. Now, the most frustrating play I've had in a game has been PvP and Ark Survival Evolved. Mostly because you get in there and, you know, most people you meet in-game, in they're great. They're nice. But I've had experiences where I, I ended up not playing Ark Survival Evolved for a long time because I said, hey, I'm going to start fresh, start new start building up my stuff, okay, still really low level, still, you know, early on, hadn't been playing for more than just like a couple hours, and somebody decided, hey, let's gank the noob. See, and I'm that noob a lot, so yeah. I, I get that. Where and people will just grief you. They just grief the hell out of me, and it was, okay, look, I'm just trying to do something, and it was, I mean, it was, okay, I got killed. I come back in, hey, they come and find me and kill me again. Hey, I got, you know, even if I, you know, try to go somewhere new, they came and found me and killed mm -hmm. me again. And it happened over and over and over again. It's like, what did I do to deserve this? I'm just trying to have some fun with mm -hmm. the game. And it just, you know, I went like, okay, yeah, you guys have been, you're wearing like power armor. You're obviously way the hell leveled up, been playing for a long time. Why you got to pick on the new guy? Let me experience the game itself and overcome those challenges 
so that when I finally can actually be even a, you know, a modicum of a real threat to you, then let's try some PvP. Hmm. That kind of thing, I'm cool with. But just, hey, you're new, kill. Eh, that's just, ruins the fun for me. So what do you say to that experience that could make it enriching or a more enjoyable experience then? Don't be a dick. Yeah, straight up. You said it right there. Don't be a dick. Okay? Let people experience the game. Leave okay? PvP to the end game zones where yeah. it's not such a big deal. Yeah, or, you know, in games like that where it's not really so much zones of like, here, this is PvE zone, this is PvP, which is, there are, for Ark Survival Evolved, there's different servers I just stopped going into PvP servers. Yeah, I just like, went to the PvE servers. Any multiplayer game that I have where PvP is an option, I turn it off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had the same kind of experience with uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Played it, PvE, played the storyline, you know, started going through that, was really and really enjoying that. Decided, hey, I want to play this, you know, co-op with a friend or two of mine. Mm -hmm. So we're going to actually go into one of the servers and PvP's there. And what happens when I'm in that server for just a little bit of time? Hey, some guys come up, a couple guys, it's just me by myself, a couple guys come up and decide, hey, we're going to rope them, yeah, drag them behind the horse. Drag them around. Yeah, oh. and fuck with them. It's like... See, I'm that player. I love to drag people behind my horse. I, I would grab them with a rope, drag them on my horse, and I would suspend them over a cliff while running and then <laughs> let go of the rope and drop them to their oh, death. See, oh. and this is why I only play story versions of stuff like that. Exactly. Because it's a great story. That game, that game is amazing. Yeah. But then you get into the assholes yeah. like that, and it's... I can't. The fact that they even added a, an ability in the game that allows you to just disable a person's controls is ridiculous. Yeah. The, the autonomy of someone who's playing a game is the whole idea idea of why we play games mm -hmm. and to disable that feature for a very easy pressing l2 r2 yeah is just ridiculous well, well and i i think something they could have added to maybe counteract that is an option to if you're tied up to maybe try to cut yourself free yeah like the, if you've got a knife in your boot yeah yeah you go up and pull on the rope cut it and then they lose their rope uh-huh well it if I recall, it's been a while yeah, since I've, I've never played, played it. But the... if, I, if I recall, there is, I believe, a mechanic in there to allow for that. Like, you can struggle and... It, it takes a while, though. It does. It yeah. does. And that's the problem is, I mean, you can be halfway across a huge area being drugged behind this horse before mm -hmm. you... You could even be dead if you hit yeah. a rock before that happens. Exactly. Yeah. But it's just that whole concept of, hey, the game has been made for people to enjoy themselves. If that's what you enjoy... Kind of like, I would say, like the Ark Survival Evolved. Why not have separate servers for PvP for people who like to do that stuff? Yeah, let's or, have a, a douchebag server. Yeah, because yeah. one of the things I enjoyed in Red Dead Online specifically was going around with my friends and raiding the outlaw posts. Mm -hmm. That was something that was fun because it felt like a challenge for me and my friends to go through and, you know, shoot 80 guys in the face when there was only three of us. Yeah, and it wasn't interfering with other players mm -hmm. exactly in fact other players oftentimes joined us yeah they'd, they'd help out because it was like oh cool you guys are doing something we're awesome. gonna rob a bank sweet yeah yeah oh we're gonna race down to armadillo let's mm -hmm. do it yeah and it's i mean it's all like i said it's preference thing some people that's how they have fun is pvp but why you gotta harass people i mean well, and Sorry, that's we're, we're, so were you much of a problem now where yeah. a lot of servers now and games will give you a report griefing option. Mm -hmm. 
to because people understand that this kind of activity is frowned upon and people don't tend to enjoy it. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the the problem with with things like that. Uh, it's just it's bad. But when you overcome the bully, yeah, it's also a very enriching experience. So there is some I'd give agree. and take there. I'd, I'd not agree. a lot of give, but well, that's that's also assuming you're good enough at the game to do to so. retaliate. Yeah, and it usually because the. What I've experienced is just my personal experience, so you know it's anecdotal. But what I've experienced is, you know, I'm low level. The people who are messing with me are high level, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and or you know, depending on yeah, game, their, their skill level is much higher. They've been playing having long. the experience yeah. to retaliate. Exactly, sure, they've been yeah. playing for so long. They know the ins and outs. Are used to the controls, mm-hmm. all that stuff, and then they just take you out. Yeah. Whereas now it's going to take me a lot of time and a lot of effort, especially if they keep preventing you from advancing anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, yeah, if you get to that point and then you can take it back to them. Great. A lot of ifs there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. So Jason, I know you've been playing a lot of subsistence on stream lately. Mm -hmm. How how, how many hours do you think you've clocked into the game? Into subsistence? I would say because I started playing about two weeks before Christmas, I would say I probably have over a hundred hours already, maybe even close to 150 hours. Okay, so, so. Well, I know that Subsistence has been kind of tagged as a hardcore survival game where there's it not is. a lot of resources for you. So what what about that well, game provides a challenge but also provides a, an enriching experience? Well, that, that's an excellent question. Um, I would say it depends. Like when I first started, you know, we were just full-on easy mode. And even in easy mode, it is challenging because the resources are... Uh, or at least some of the important resources are more scarce, a little bit harder to find. Takes a little bit of skill even to sometimes see them. Like there might, there might be fiber plants that I mean, fibers are really important. But it's a very tiny plant. It's a small plant, kind of hard to see. Sometimes you have to be at just the right angle, or you have to kind of train your eyes to be able to pick it up. Um, so it takes a little time to get used to it. But then, you know, once you started getting used to it on easy mode, it's not so bad. You can advance, but it's very slow progression it takes time uh, which some people find frustrating because i will say it is a very grindy game but at the same time it does it in such a way that it is not grindy it provides you a reward while you're obtaining the loot that you need exactly and that's something that i kind of think borderlands is perfected Mm -hmm. where it is a game that is constantly giving you rewards Mm mm-hmm and I, I only wish that somehow you could get that level of reward in a game that is as difficult as a hardcore survival game like Subsistence. Yeah. That would be awesome. That the- would be. That'd be very, very good to see other games have that kind of thing. But, like, the, the real thing with it, too, is in hardcore mode, oh, there's the challenge. Mm-hmm. I mean, even solo hardcore, I've I have probably gotten to, I think, my current file... I finally made it to like day four or five, <laughs> and I'm still not dead, uh, thankfully. Thankfully, but I've died so many times in that. But just getting that little bit farther each time—that's the reward, and it is gratifying. Mm-hmm. Overcoming the wall, yeah. per se. And speaking of overcoming walls, <laughs> Dark Souls is heralded as mm. one of the most difficult games of all time, and I have to disagree. I don't think that it is necessarily a game that is difficult. It is a game that is hard to learn. 
It is a game that if you put the time and the energy into, you will very easily overcome Dark Souls to the point where people can speed run a Dark Souls game in less than 30 minutes. Like, there, there are so many exploits in a game like that, and there's so many tools at your disposal that there's not necessarily no excuse, but there is no way that you can't overcome them. I don't think there's a player who is not mechanically skilled to do it. Me? I, I, I think you just have I'm to. that player. <laughs> I'm sure you could. Oh, I've played. <laughs> it, it's just something that sometimes you have to take a look back and go, okay, enemy is doing A, and I'm dying to A. Therefore, I need to figure out a way to anticipate that and maybe learn the boss's attack patterns. They have wind-up animations. They have sound cues. Mm -hmm. There are many things you can learn about the game or tips and tricks that you can use to beat bosses, sometimes without even touching them. Hmm. There's a boss in Dark Souls 2 called the Dragon Rider. And he has a way you can cheese him where you can walk into the arena, wait three seconds walk forward, roll to the top right of your screen, and the dragon lighter will always open with the same thrust attack, and it moves his player model... Off a cliff, basically. Off a cliff, yep. and kills him instantly. I saw See, that. I feel like that's basically cheating. Yeah. It, it almost is. And yeah. I, I'm going to say it's not, because it is a animation in the game, and they put that ledge in that arena on purpose so you could fall off of it too if the dragon rider can fall off of it so can you even if it was intended for you to get knocked off but there are ways to stagger enemies in the game beyond him just having a bad animation okay but hear me out explain this one there is i i have played some dark souls i have um i watched my friend play it and there's this this point where you basically you finish the tutorial you go down there's like a little campfire and there's this dude there if you attack the dude he will come after you and kill you even if you die he will come after you and kill you he does not stop ever that is actually, until you kill him that is actually on trip yeah I, no 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 no, no, no. I don't, no, no. He I, does not stop. I, I know what you are talking about. I know what I'm talking about. I watched so, it for like 20 minutes and I was like, I can't. There is a karma system in the Dark Souls games where if you hurt an NPC, right, mm -hmm. they will retaliate. They will try and defend themselves. Yeah, but I died for my sins. Correct. And so what you can do with an NPC like that is there's an absolution system where you can go ahead and then basically pay money to absolve your sins in the game but i don't have any money because he's killing me every four seconds away. and i do and then he just kills me some more i can yeah because it sounds like it's happening like right after no, the no, tutorial no, it, and, it, and it is so it's, it's it's right there you're like what well that being mentioned dark souls happens to provide you with the tools necessary to go ahead and overcome any challenge in the game and this is more or less what i'm going to try and get at for the whole theming of the dark souls portion of this discussion is that you have multiple options once you get out of the tutorial area right and you get to firelink shrine a you don't have to hit him even if you do make the mistake of hitting him every enemy in the game has an aggro range once you leave firelink shrine which is a quick 20 feet he will no longer chase you and he'll return to his pre-designated zone oh he kept chasing if you are determined enough 
and become mechanically skilled enough in the game, you can beat him by just punching him to death and parrying him with your fists. It is doable. It takes like 20 minutes, but it is doable. Yeah, so a lot of that is just stuff, like I said, fresh out of tutorial. You're not really aware of yeah, unless you've, you, you know, obviously played the game. Yeah, I mean, if you make that mistake early game, you're early enough in the game that you can realize you made a mistake and you could restart your 15 minutes in the game at that Don't point. be ridiculous. That was hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, which is why I refuse to play Dark Souls. Now, that's just because of personal choice. I just refuse to play because for me, you know, the legendary or assumed difficulty of the game which, as Zach has explained, is really more about just putting the time in to get good, if you will. Uh, but the, the meme lives on. Yeah, exactly. But just, you know, that, that assumed impossibility of uh, surviving, to me it just doesn't sound fun because I want to experience what the game has to offer as far as the creativity of what these people put together, these beautiful scenes, these beautiful worlds. I mean, that kind of stuff just resonates with me i love to see these you know huge open scenes of maps where you can see just the incredible effort and artwork that you know the designers put into it i like to see that i like to experience what the game has to offer and if i'm dying constantly it makes it really difficult to enjoy that so that's why i refuse to play that that being said what was the name of the new one coming out elden ring elden anticipated ring. game of 2022 I know it's basically Dark Souls, uh, you know. You but know. it's got the open world aspect that yeah. you look forward to in RPGs. Exactly, which is, I'm looking forward to it. Well, there's there's open world in a lot of things. Like Fable, for example, is open world, and that is nowhere near as aggravating. Well, not necessarily that open world games are aggravating. That's not the argument being made. The mm -hmm. argument being made is that Elden Ring is made by the same people who made mm -hmm. Dark Souls. And therefore, it's going to assume to have the same difficulty level. Yeah. And from what the beta has shown us, it's probably even going to be harder. But because it's not a more linear progression system where Dark Souls is contained to zones, more or less, that you travel through and acquire experience new gear, because it is an open world game, you may be able to run into a zone that's higher level than you are grab some loot, run out, and go defeat a lower level zone now that you're better equipped because you haven't gotten the mechanical skill yet to defeat that area. Or, conversely, you may be able to hang out in that lower level zone, you know, practice grind up, up some XP, grind up some XP, practice up your skills, get, get ready to go into that higher level zone, get into it, play around a little bit, get some more XP, get a little bit better, and then go back to that lower level zone to just farm. And get higher XP so that you're better. Because, I mean, you know, call it what you want. But for me, that was my strategy. And all the I used to play Final Fantasy all the time. All the different Final Fantasy games. One of my strategies, I just grind. Mm -hmm. I just go and grind. I mean, that's the emphasis of Pokemon right there. Yeah. And some of the older games, they're ra reasonably difficult. Mm -hmm. And grinding is a necessity on any kind of game where numbers matter. Mm -hmm. But another advantage to Elden Ring going to open world is because it's open world. Like you said, you could hang out the lower area, lower level areas and grind. You may be able to just run to the final boss, and if you're good enough, you might be able to just hit him with a stick enough and kill him. Yeah. That may just be an option for you. Yeah. The, the only difficulty uh, I'm having, because I haven't read up on exactly what Elden Ring will entail, is if there's going to be, if, you know, it's an open world game, is there going to be a lot of PvP? 
And if so, is that going to bring in griefers again? I, I do know it was mentioned there is PvP in the game. Mm-hmm. You have to be holding an item, though, in order to invite people into your world. So people yeah. who aren't looking for the PvP experience will have that option. Then that's perfect for me. That's that... what I'm saying. So let's go ahead and bring this around to another realm of difficult games. or Not necessarily difficult games, but games that present a challenge to the player that maybe doesn't resonate so well with you. Mm-hmm. And talk about board games. Because <laughs> there are a lot of board games that have come out in the last 15 years that aren't necessarily difficult per se. They're easy to play, right? You can pick up the rules and after 15 minutes of reading, really know how to play the game. But as a subgenre of board game have come out recently, that is you against the board. Those have been out forever, but go oh, on. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> Go on. More or less Noob. popular. More or less popularized lately. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that I'll give you that one. Mm-hmm. Right. Fifteen years ago, you didn't hear about Pandemic, and how it's one of the best-selling board games in the world right now. And th- and that's even against Monopoly, the hardest game ever. Monopoly is trash. Okay. Yeah, Monopoly is how to lose friends and hate people. I mean, it's <laughs> that's what it is. And so. Because nobody knows the exact rules. They make them up, and it just becomes a mess. Everybody has house rules yep. for Monopoly. Mm-hmm. And the house rule is don't play it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ahead and discuss Pandemic here, because at its core, Pandemic is really a resource management game. Yeah. And I know Jen it's, can definitely speak to this. It's less of a resource management game and more of a keep shit under control game. Because you're not collecting up well i mean you are it's it's a difference from collecting up um pieces to go in advance and build things it's more of a maintain the shit you have so the world doesn't explode is yeah. kind of where you're at with yeah pandemic. it's not like settlers of Catan. that's a resource yeah management settlers thing. of Catan is straight well, up resource management i mean yeah. resource management not in the essence of your collecting and gathering resources but you are provided a limited number of assets in mm-hmm. pandemic right rather that is your action points to do actions and move around the board or it's the cards in your hand or the pieces for your actual infections the disease cubes your disease cubes right those things are resources that you have to manage to not either lose them and lose the game or to properly employ them in a strategic manner to accomplish your goals and then win the game yeah which i i would call that i personally wouldn't call that a resource management game uh, I mean, to to put a term on it, I would call it more of a strategic allocation mm-hmm. game where you're, you've given limited resources, period, and then working collaboratively with the other players in the game, you have to strategically deploy those resources in order to advance and, and hopefully win the game. Yeah, and that ends up becoming really the essence of a lot of these you against the board games. Mm-hmm. Where a pandemic is difficult because of the extreme limit that you are provided. Where on the harder difficulties, you're being handed epidemic cards at an unprecedented rate. Well, it's not even that. So in games like that, there are more ways to lose than there are to win. So more often than not, the game is designed to lose, I guess, if that's... If that makes sense, like it's harder to win, which makes it a fun challenge. Yeah, because there's only one way to win in Pandemic versus the six there are to lose. Yeah. Three. 
<laughs> Depending on the difficulty level. <laughs> three. Yeah. Three, three ways to lose. But, no, I, mean, I, I can kind of speak to that too, being on the game design end, because mm-hmm. I've been involved in game design projects. I've tried, you know, worked on developing games, and it's up to the developers and how they want to go about a game. I mean, the game I was helping to work on, it was all about, okay, the board against the players mm-hmm. and how to make that a challenge. And then how to ramp up that challenge. Really designing the system to yeah. really mess with the players. Exactly, because you wanted to be able to put a basic level of challenge in there so that the game worked. But then you also wanted to be able to institute additional things to make it more difficult such that players that played it a lot and got used to the mm-hmm. basic level would actually find that challenge. Because, I mean, this is going to one of your main points, overcoming the challenge. Mm-hmm is the reward and what makes it worthwhile exactly beyond the experience of hanging out with your friends and having a good time Mm -hmm. overcoming the wall yep and not succumbing to it ends up being a rewarding prospect where it's not instant gratification it is Mm -hmm. gratification earned over time exactly because you have become a better person throughout the experience Mm -hmm. i think something that actually makes games really really good is replay like just Replay of, yeah. Um, so like, certain games will you know progressively get harder the more you play. Like the the concept of a legacy game mm-hmm. is what you do in the last game yep. actually affects every future game you play. So even in a board game where you don't necessarily level up for everything, some you definitely do. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a concept of progression even though it's it's not really changing a whole lot. And that's something you don't get as much in board games as you would like a video game. So yeah. it's still got like a, a level to that that I think is really cool to help with all of the progression there. Yeah. And yeah. That, that that's a, a cool point to bring up too with that replayability. Like example, Zombicide. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's several different scenarios you can do. And heck, you can throw scenarios out the window and you can just come up with your own simple thing of here's the board, just grab some random tiles, stick mm-hmm. them together, throw out, hey, here's our objectives. Yeah. And or like, it's a completely different from the last experience. And like like level seven, it's a they have chapters of the yeah. game that you progress and level up, like in you would in D and D or like Betrayal where there's a hundred different scenarios, like mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite games to play oh, with you guys. It's my favorite <laughs> well, game. Well, let's go ahead and stem away from board games for just a second. Mm-hmm. You you brought up something very interesting in Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. where that is a game that is deeply gratifying, and I very rarely happen to hear the frustrating end of it. But dying, dying. You're, you're a professional dungeon master yeah. here, Jason. I'm sure you can speak to some frustrating ends of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, yeah. I mean, I as DM and a player for many, many, many years. Um, yeah, too many to count. I'm old, mm-hmm. uh, but. Uh, I would say that the frustrating aspect of it doesn't come from the game itself. It comes from the interaction between the DM and the players Mm -hmm. and how well they communicate. Uh, Because if you've got, if you're a DM and you've got a a great group of players who communicates with you and you, you do your best to communicate with them, all problems, which typically are outside of game problems, get resolved and like right now uh, my wednesday night group a great group of players i love them they you know they they have problems with anything they bring them to me we work them out together 
but that frustration sometimes if you've got a player in your game or if you're a player and you've got a dm and there's not good communication you know i've had some players that they just don't work well for the group because they don't communicate they don't they don't act as a team player i in a cooperative game i have something that's similar not necessarily not exactly being a team player Mm -hmm. but say you have a big campaign going and there's there's a big initial goal and you have a bunch of players wanting to split different directions or it's all the group here is doing you know task a Mm -hmm. and there's this one guy who's just over here in the corner wanting to go do something else and it fucks with everyone else that can be very problematic yes and that and that does kind of go to being a team player. Mm-hmm. And again, communication. Because uh, as a dungeon master, if I'm in a situation where that's what I'm dealing with with my group, if I'm communicating with them well and saying, hey, uh, here's the situation. You want to go follow this lead or whatever it is down this path because that's what you believe. That, you know, This is what my character is interested in. Okay. Everybody else in the group wants to go down this path. Now, there's nothing saying that you can't eventually discover both paths. Mm -hmm. So why don't you work together and communicate together as players, and if necessary, I'll facilitate, where you can say, hey, look, everyone but you wants to go this direction right now. Why don't you handle that, and then you come back to this. You know, and that way you can... And I I have had um, DMs who, if that's the case, someone really wants to do task A and everyone else wants to do task B. Um, I've had people who will run a whole little separate mini session to do something yeah. off camera kind of thing, you know. And that's another way to handle mm-hmm. it. It just depends on, you know, what you're willing yeah. to what you're willing to do as a DM and what your players are are accepting of as far as, okay, hey, you know what? If you if this player wants to run off and do this, we're fine with that while we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times though that ends up coming off as a backhanded punishment because more often than not the generalization of splitting the party in Dungeons and Dragons is that the one person who runs off and does their one thing is likely going to mm-hmm. end up dead at the end of it. Yeah, it's called sorting out your problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I think for the player that would then be frustrating that they feel that their opinion is less valued over their others. Yeah, and you kind of just have to go with majority here because mm-hmm. there's no right. fair way of going about it. Right. You can't well, invalue someone's feelings, but you have to consider the others. That's true, and but there are also other you know ways to handle it, like kind of what you were saying, Jen, with you know, allowing this player to go off and maybe like a separate off-camera. Um, I didn't quite have that situation, but all my players in our campaign, their characters all have things that they really want to handle that deals with their characters, their backstory, mm-hmm. and everything like that. How did we handle it? Well, I'm not going to reveal too much. You should go <laughs> watch. You should go watch the YouTube videos on it. Whole t- like almost the entire campaign's on there, mm-hmm. over two years worth. But what I did is. They just recently got done, their players, with a one-year downtime. Mm-hmm. And so what did we do? What did the players do during that one-year downtime? Well, our episodes during that time, it was focused on one player. And the other players played NPCs yeah. or like family members that, you know, maybe mm-hmm. they wanted to go visit their family. They played the family members. Yeah. You know, so we, I incorporated them into this one character's experience and we focused on you know, one player at a time. Mm-hmm. That's actually a pretty cool way of going about that. I haven't heard that done before. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's it's a good way to go about it for sure. Mm-hmm. And it, it worked out very well. <clears throat> Everyone got to accomplish a lot of things for their character. Mm-hmm. And it's, 
you know, it resolves that frustration when you can come up with, you know, ideas and things like that uh, to, again, all going back to communication and working as a team. So let me throw an example at you over here real quick. So Mm -hmm. by a game design standpoint, Dungeons and Dragons will be frustrating at certain points, right? For example, you and your party have been doing this campaign for, say, eight months, right? Mm -hmm. Not enough time to be totally invested and the campaign has to keep going we've been doing it for so long <laughs> but not early enough to say oh well you know we can just make new characters whatever mm-hmm. and you're thrown against a challenge right you're challenging your players they're going up against a big fight like say you're in a curse of strahd campaign right mm-hmm. and right before you get to strahd right you get ambushed by a few banshees and it leads to the whole party being tko'd yeah TPK, TPK, yeah. Yeah, to uh, <laughs> kill the party there, right, minutes before killing Strahd, mm-hmm. right, would be so disappointing to everyone involved. You as the dungeon master for running a beautifully crafted campaign and doing a good job of making the players happy mm-hmm. and the players who've been here along for this journey and have really valued this experience. Mm-hmm. There's got to be something there to say that no matter what you play, there's going to be a point where you may be frustrated Oh, yeah. But the creative outlet you have to solve those problems, I think as a whole, could really express the point that it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if the game is deemed frustrating or not. You're going to have fun regardless. Yes. And you kind of just have to take the good with the bad on this one. Yes. And I think, again, D&D and other role-playing games along that vein, I think are kind of a special case with this, though, because... As a, as a dungeon master, my everyone's got different philosophies, but my philosophy is I want to make things challenging for my players, but not unwinnable. And the odds of a T, uh, TPK happening, you know, which those of you who don't know what that means, total party kill, whole, whole party's wiped out, odds of that happening in my game are actually pretty slim. And especially using 5th edition rules because people get, you know, death saves and stuff like that. But they're actually pretty slim because I work really hard to balance out my encounters such that if the party wins, they win. If they lose, you know, basically their loss is they had, you know, they took the opportunity to go, we're getting our butts kicked and we're grabbing our wounded or our dead and running I give them ways to, you know, outs that yeah, they can find. As the DM, you have tools to prevent the TPK and total frustration that right. may come along with the experience. Right. I don't, I don't uh, deus ex machina them, but I give them hints and, and things like that and tools along the way that they can, you know, my players are pretty smart. They can figure out when I, when I throw out, hey, this is happening, that's happening, blah, blah, blah. They can figure out that, oh, shit, we're starting to get overwhelmed we need to go. I even had an encounter like that. They were getting overwhelmed early on by uh, just this massive horde of spiders, giant spiders. And this was at low level. Started out with just like a small wave of them, but then they kept coming and coming. And it was a clear indication that this is not going to stop. They're coming. So what did they do? They made the smart decision. They booked it. But I think, to an extent, that's something with D&D, you have a more creative outlook to fix the problem. Exactly. As opposed to a video game or a board game that have set rules or set, you know, 
how the gameplay is supposed More to limitations. go. Yep. Yeah, limitations Absolutely. on what you, you can and can't do with that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Alrighty then, so <coughs> we've gone over a few genres of games or archetypes of games. Let's go ahead now and get into truly the worst part of a frustrating experience, and that's player toxicity. I, for the longest time, could not play League of Legends because I myself didn't play the game for eight years and have all of the knowledge on everything and know how to play the game. So me on my shitty 2012 laptop booted up League of Legends to try and learn how to play and are being absolutely blasted with profanity, told I'm the worst, that I, so many bad things simply because I tried learning the game. If the player base of a game is toxic that it can't welcome new players, that if you can't let new players into the game, how are you going to keep a consistent player base, right? And this has been a big problem in that community for a while where they've just been straight up banning accounts for players who are griefing and really harassing other players. And harassment as a whole has been a big topic in the community for quite some time now. So, and... Really, that also brings up cheating, which is another big problem in various circles where the older consoles are rampant with hackers and cheaters and any kind of competitive game is plagued by it, where they're having to install anti-cheat software directly into the hardware of most systems now just to combat it. You mean I can't I can't use my, my shark for my Nintendo 64? What, what do you mean? Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, B, A, start doesn't work anymore? What? No, I, I wish it did, but, I mean, the, the, the classic example of this is Rainbow Six Siege, right? Mm -hmm. Which is rampant with cheaters, where on the consoles, they will straight up plug in a keyboard and mouse. And that is such an advantage in a game where it is a one-shot kill to the head. Mm -hmm. Where if, as long as you can click on a head, you win the game, versus people who only have the control of a thumb versus their entire arm. It, it's such a problem that it's led to a lot of people just completely quitting that particular game. Jen, do you have any experience with cheaters or player toxicity that you'd like to share? Um, Honestly, I'm going to backtrack to board games. So I've definitely, like I said, I've been in board game conventions for a couple years, and there are definitely times where, you know, you're playing a game and it's, resource management for example even the concept of going to monopoly and mm -hmm. someone stealing money from the bank you know mm -hmm. it's stupid things like that that really annoy me when yeah. it comes to things shorting like shorting the bank or accidentally picking up a second property yeah i mean like i said not really monopoly because that's not relevant to anyone but you know a good game and it's it's something <laughs> it's something like you know it's just it's not necessary if well, you're losing just just lose yeah. man and just like, a reminder we are not sponsored by monopoly <laughs> for obviously reasons uh, <laughs> yeah hasbro would, probably wouldn't like that i will anti-sponsor monopoly <laughs> <laughs> well, no um, but i mean just just simple things like that where someone goes out of their way to cheat a game that like what what does it matter if you win or lose you know it's it's a game yeah especially if it's something where it's you versus the board right where if you pick up an extra cube in pandemic and it saves you from an outbreak so what you just ruined the experience for two other players yep 
or if you move your character another tile in pandemic just to evade the big boss monster yeah or you're, you're not getting anything out of it or if you play clue and you you take a little peek sees at what's in the envelope <laughs> or i'll i'll add uh, a genre of game we actually didn't bring up before but i'm gonna because you mentioned going to conventions playing board games mm-hmm. and conventions social games like mm. werewolf okay just an experience just the last Megacon that actually was the one before that, actually, for me. Oh, I, I uh, got so many yeah, stories. We got this year, too, didn't we? We, we oh, get them every year. Yeah, every year. There, I mean, there was there was one guy in particular uh, playing this game of Werewolf. He was uh, on the vi- Team Villager. You don't know how Werewolf works? Look it up. But he, <laughs> Mafia, he, same he, thing. Mafia. But he was on Team Villager, and he was just uncannily picking the Werewolves. And then... Well, your dad and I mm-hmm. noticed this guy, the way he was uh, putting his head down at night, yeah, he was he was speaking. We didn't outright catch him, but it really looked close. We, we and, have a uh, zero tolerance yeah. policy for shit like that. It's yeah. a, we see you cheating. Sorry, not sorry. You're, you're dead. Like, yeah, get you're, out. Yeah, you're banned. <laughs> but, I mean, just that alone. And then, you know, going along with that, another one is cheating in role-playing games. Okay. You know what? You're it's a 20. Yeah, no. I don't want to have to track your spell slots for you, man. Yeah, exactly. But, like, even worse is you, you roll the die, okay? And if, you know, if you're, like, just rolling, you know, near yourself or whatever, and, you know, people can't see you roll, and, you know, you're just succeeding on everything. Well, if you're, if it's actually happening and you're lucky, great. That's awesome. But you know what? I will say this without any reservation. I have had more fun in games as a player and a DM when I failed, when there's failures coming up, because there's so much things that can happen, and you know why it's more fun when you fail on something? Because the recovery, overcoming the challenge of, I just failed and it really screwed me over. The gradual gratification. And then, yeah, and then finally finding a way to overcome that failure. It's just, once again, it's just so much better. Yeah, and when you overcome these challenges of facing a cheater, Mm -hmm. right? it ends up being such a better experience where in siege you know someone's cheating and they can see you through walls and you manage to defeat them anyway it is so much better than mm. having to succumb to them anyway yeah but when you're having to go and you know, you're playing you're playing for three hours and you got them once they got you 70 times, times yeah. yeah it's ruins it's it. it's obviously not a good thing no but it is a good feeling when you overcome the insurmountable odd that exactly. is the difficulty of a game or the frustration of it. Mm-hmm. So, moral of the story, don't be a dick. Yes. That's, that's actually a sign on our wall that I wish I could show you guys. But we have a sign that when you walk in the front door of our house, it just straight up says, don't be a dick. It's laser engraved on a wooden black. It yep. is amazing. Yep. Motto so, to live by. So, follow the... Uh, the Nerd Culture is Dead podcast. Make them grow. Make them famous so that they can eventually do video podcasts. And then you can see the sign. Mm. That, that or we'll just it. upload it to our Instagram. I'll put a picture up there. <laughs> that may help too. But do we have any closing remarks on frustration and overall just how those games can still be fun? Yeah, don't be a dick and it's still fun for everybody else. Yeah. All right. Can't be said any better than that. That's really, that's it. I mean. You heard it here first, folks. Don't be a dick. Jen, where can we find us? So you can find both Zach and myself on YouTube and on Instagram at nerdcultureisdead. 
and Jason, where can I find your beautiful face? Ah, uh, everywhere. Uh, no, you can <laughs> right find, here, yeah, right now. Right here, right now. Uh, you can find uh, me primarily on uh, Twitch at TogDM. That's T-O-G-G-D-M, where we do D and D Fifth Edition live stream every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also find us on our YouTube channel, Totally Online Gaming Group, and on Twitter and Instagram at TogRoleplay. Alrighty, guys. Thank you very much. Don't eat too much ham and have a good night. Bye. Bye.